before I dismiss the children, I, I forgot to introduce our seniors. I just assumed everyone knew them, and that was a bad assumption. Um, our seniors this morning, we have Emmy Moore and Emma Perry, and um, Sydney Wickens are, are three of the five that are here. We also have um, Ellie Walker, who's not here, and Eason Wells. Um, so if you see them, or when you see them and their families, congratulate them um, for the great work and hard work that the entire family has done um, for these seniors. And so we're just so thankful for you all. All right, children, you're dismissed. It has been our custom. If you are able and willing, will you please stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word found in Micah chapter 7. There is a pew Bible on your on your table on page 780, but Micah chapter 7. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned, there is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and, they grant, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son, threats, the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I will rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgments for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see, and shame will cover her, who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mirror of the streets. A day for the building of your walls. In that day the boundaries shall be far extended. In that day they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, and from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea, from the mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in the forest, in the midst of the garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as the days of old. As in the days when you came, when you came out to the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths, and their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like crawling things of the earth. 
They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn and dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Who is like you? Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression, the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Father, our whole salvation depends upon your holy word of our hearing it and our belief in it. Grant that our hearts and minds may be freed from our work, freed from our distractions, and freed from all of our worries. Cause us to hear your word and understand it and follow by faith. May we rightly discern your gracious will. May we cherish it in our hearts and live by it as a guide and light. We ask this in the name of Christ and by the power of your spirit. Amen. If you know me well, you might know that I'm a bit of a nerd. Or to state it in a verbal form, sometimes I nerd out on things. Well, a few weeks ago, uh, or well, the past few Monday, past couple Mondays, I've been serving the church um, by meeting um, and running committee meetings for our presbytery. And in these meetings, we typically examine candidates who are coming in for ordination to the PCA to serve at churches within the bounds of our presbytery. And if you want to know more about that, come June 10th to our new members meeting, and I'd be gladly to talk to you about what that is. But during one of these meetings, um, one of them which lasted 10 hours, we took a small break because I had noticed there was another minister, and he, he had this book in front of him. And it, it was a really nice book. And I became curious because as I looked, it was, it was shaped like a textbook, but it was a lot thinner. It, it, it was pretty big and it had a hard cover. And each page had three very nice columns. They had left lots of room for taking notes. It had good spacing. It was, it was just a nice book. You should be able to love a, just a really good published book. And so, so I asked them during our break, what is this book that you have? And because we're all nerds as pastors, it was a copy of the Westminster Confession with the catechisms that aligned with it so that you didn't have to flip back and forth. And if you've ever seen my confession, I have all of these colored tabs so I can turn to where the confession talks about something and where it talks about in the larger catechism and the shorter catechism, and it's all color-coded. And I don't know why I do that because I'm colorblind. I can't even tell, but it's supposed to be there to help me. But this book, I saw this book, and I thought this book could be life-changing. It would help me from all of my flipping. It would give me these nice lines. It would, it would give places for me to write notes and not just flip around and just take all this time and not have to worry about this color coding that, I, that doesn't even help. So what did I do? I ordered one, and I was pretty disappointed because the one I got wasn't a hardback. It was a measly paperback book. 
But I did not let it deter me because I already have plans to take it to Office Max. I'm going to have the binding ripped out. I'm going to have a spiral binding put in it. It's going to be nice and clean. I'm going to use sticky notes to write notes just in case I want to take that out later. I don't want to mark it up and not be able to take it out. This is the depth of my nerdiness. And I tell you this story because when I saw this book, I thought it would change my life. I thought it would change the way I study. I thought it would change the way that I led these committee meetings. I thought this book could change a small aspect of my life. Well, as we come to Micah 7, in a much grander way than the Catechism and Confession can change somebody's life, we hear Micah's response to the first six chapters of the book. We hear Micah respond to how the word of God has changed the people of God. And this is what I want us to see this morning. I want us to see two points this morning. The first point, verses 1 through 6, I want us to hear Micah's lament. And the second point, verses 7 to 20, I want us to hear of Micah's faith. So Micah's lament and Micah's faith. The prophet looked at Israel and sees their response to God's word. And here we have just a common cause and effect. The basic, basic concept of cause and effect are something happens and the effect will show what happens. And we see this all the times in our life. My, son, my two younger sons are playing baseball. Cause and effect is the baseball is hit all nine Players on the field should what? They should move towards the ball. This is cause and effect. You receive a text message or notifications from your phone. You pick up your phone. That's the cause, and then it affects how you respond to it. We see this in marriage. If you get that phone call from your wife, change the laundry over, you get up immediately, and you change it. Cause and effect. But here's the problem with the people's response. The cause, the word of God coming to them in, for six chapters of what their sin looks like, what their sin is causing within their community, within the people of God, within their city, has not given the effect that is desired. And this is how we see Micah respond in verse 1. Woe is me. It's a response of lament. For six chapters, he has proclaimed what is good for the people, God's unmerited grace, and they still haven't changed. The word of God that brings life, the promises of salvation, the promises of that he promised to their forefather to give them and to receive by faith has not caused the effect that it should have on their hearts. And just as he did in the first chapter, Micah laments over their sin. And his heart is broken. 
This is a man who we believe ministered, who prophesied for over 30 years. And this is the last chapter we hear of his teaching to the city of God. Lament, because the people did not change. The word of God was not met with faith. And it grieves him. They have failed to properly respond to the grace of God. The godly has perished from the earth. There is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood. Each hunts the other with a net. Who is my brother's keeper? All they do is care for themselves. All they want is what makes them wealthy and what makes their lives easy. Woe is me, says Micah. After all of this hearing of God's word, this is the picture that God's people reflect. They love the darkness and they hate the light. And as Micah describes, God's people were created, drawn out of Egypt to be fashioned and shaped by his laws and statutes and rules, whose hearts should produce righteousness, to be a blessing to the nations. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright of them, a thorn hedge. That doesn't sound like flourishing. That which was intended to bring life brings heartache, heartache and pain. That which Adam was supposed to do in the garden is completely forgotten. And they are bearing the curse. Because this is what God said in the garden when he cursed him. Because of you, in pain you, sh you shall eat of the land all of your days. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth on you. This is a description of God's people. Meant to bring flourishing, but bringing pain and suffering. This is a picture of the people. Put not your trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth. For her, her who lies in your arms. This is the people. After they hear the preaching, they cannot be trusted. None of them. Not your spouse. Not your friend. Not your neighbor. The son treats the father with contempt. This is a breaking of the fourth commandment. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. 
That never happens in the people of God, does it? This is the outcome of sin. This is what happens when people, God's people, hear God's word and do not follow it by faith. they become divisive. It's no wonder that this is what Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 35. That when his word comes, there will be those who are divided. Those who respond by faith and those who do not. This is a description of what life looks like when you do not obey the word of God. This is the opposite of peace. And this sounds like a terrible life. And this is what the word of God calls us out of. Because he does not leave us where we are. God's word lifts us up. This is what Micah is doing. He's proclaiming the word of God to a people who look like this. And this is a word that needs to be proclaimed to us today. Because our own sin has wreaked havoc on our relationships. Our own sin has caused destruction and hurt and pain for somebody else and for ourselves. But look at what Micah does in verse 7. He does not look to the one who cannot be trusted. Micah looks to the one who can be trusted. But as for me... As for me, a prophet of God's word, as for me, one who follows by faith, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. The prophet has looked at the people and has lamented. But that's not where he stays. For now we see that the prophet looks to Yahweh and sees how God responds to our sin. Look at Micah's hope. In verse 7, the contrast is that he see, what he doesn't see in the people, he sees in the God of his salvation. And I, I was planning on, on doing this towards the end. I, I'm just going to break it in now. He's looking to Jesus. He's looking to put his trust in Jesus, the Lord of our salvation. Look, look at verse 8. He rejoices in his triumph over his enemies. He's looking for the resurrection of Jesus. His enemies will not defeat him. Brothers and sisters, this is the resurrection of Jesus. 
Look at verse 9. He rejoices in his sin, his true sense of sin, but yet he has hope because that's not the end of his story. He's looking for Jesus. Because it was in Isaiah that he looked for this servant who would come and suffer for him upon the cross. And look at verse 10. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? This phrase is used throughout all of Scripture as a refrain to God's people. Where is your God now? And you know how we respond? The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. In verses 11 and 12, he rejoices that the nation will flock to the good shepherd. This is what he, he said back in, in chapter 4. The walls of the city are being built. God is building his city despite what the people are doing. He is building his city and he's putting his king in the city. But what else is happening? What do we see here? Not only will the mountain be raised above all the other mountains, but the city walls are going to expand. This kingdom will not rest in just this one location. It will cover the earth. Micah's looking to Jesus. Because this is exactly what we see when the message of the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed to the nations. For Jesus says, my sheep will hear my voice, and I know them, and they will follow me. I will give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will, will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to me is greater than all, and no one who is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Mike is looking to Jesus. In verse 13, everything outside, everything that's darkness, everything that's desolate, this is where the gospel of Jesus is not recognized. This is anti-Eden. This is darkness and desolation and barrenness. This is what separation from Jesus looks like. This is what a city built on man's own strength and power looks like. I said this morning that in the, in the summer, we're going to do a, a series of Summer in the Psalms. But I'm going to give you a small blurb for what we're going to do in the fall. We're going to go through the book of Ephesians in the fall. This is what Paul says about this city that God is building in Ephesians 2, verses 17 to 22. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the one spirit of the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. You are fellow citizens of God's city. With the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. 
Do you start to hear what God is building in Christ? He's building a city. He's building a people. And this is what he ends by saying, in whom all the structure being joined together grows into the holy temple of the Lord, in whom you also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He's building a city out of people like us so that his spirit might dwell within us. Micah is looking to Jesus. And in verse 14, Micah sees a shepherd leading his people where? Into a better place than the promised land. Into a better place than they ever could imagine. To a place where Jesus is. Jesus will lead us into a better place because he is a better Adam. Jesus is building this holy nations of priests by the power of his word. And this is what Micah foresees. When this city is being built, when the gospel of Jesus is being preached, what will happen? The nations will turn. The nations will be drawn and the nations will bend their knee because the serpent will be destroyed. This is the power of the gospel of Jesus. For those who were his enemies will be brought into his city. Just as those who were enemies have now been reconciled to the death of Jesus. And then Micah, in great form, ends in a great liturgical crescendo. We see this in verses 18 through 20. This is a play on Micah's own name. Micah's name, who is a God like Yahweh? Who is a God like you? And all the people responded, no one. There is no God like Yahweh. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of, your, of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Micah is looking for Jesus. Because he has bore our griefs. He will make many counted righteousness, and he shall bear their iniquities. Because it's in Jesus that God's rightful wrath is removed from us. And our iniquities are no longer our own because they were put on Jesus. It's in Jesus who, just like Jonah... Our sins are cast to the depths of the sea, like Pharaoh's armies who were drowned by the sea. That is where our sins go when you look to Jesus. 
Because what we find in Jesus is that God's grace can never be outdone by our sin. God's grace is always greater than our sin. He will pardon our iniquity, pass over our transgression. He does not retain his anger. He delights in steadfast love. This is the central attribute of who God is. This is his primary characteristic. This, it is out of this that he lives and moves. And this is why the Apostle John can say, God is love. Everything that motivates him is so that he can shower his love upon you in Jesus. Our God delights in loving you. Even when your life looks like verses 1 through 6. Our God does not look at you in your sin and repel back. Our God moves in because he loves you in Jesus. This is Micah's hope. Micah's hope in verse 20. You will show, you will show, you will in the future show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Did anyone catch that in our New Testament reading? In Zechariah's prayer, Zechariah quotes this passage because he's seen Jesus. Zechariah saw God's faithfulness shown to Jacob. Zechariah saw God's steadfast love that he promised to Abraham when he saw Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the Lord's word does not return to him void. He foresaw that God would send a shepherd to gather his sheep to his pasture. He foresaw that the king would pass before them and be the head of his people. Micah foresaw that God would build his city. He foresaw that God would use the lame, the weak, senseless people to become a strong nation and a kingdom of priests that would last forever. He foresaw that the king would come from Bethlehem. He foresaw that the shepherd king would rule in the midst of his city, that this king would purify his people, and that the king would give his people the faith that they needed because God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Micah saw the hope that was in God of his salvation. He foresaw Jesus. And what we see in Jesus is far greater than what we ever hear from Micah. 
For Micah lamented over the people's sin, but Micah in his own strength could do nothing for it. Jesus lamented over the sin of his people, and he came and he died for his people. Micah could only hope for God bringing them out of darkness. Jesus was the light that went into the darkness for his people. Micah had no answer for the thorn hedge or for the briar. Jesus is the good shepherd that will never let you go, that will never hurt you, that will never leave you. Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire book of Micah. Who is like Yahweh? No one. Who is Jesus? God with us. Emmanuel. He is our redeemer, our only hope, our salvation. And brothers and sisters, this is what we are called to proclaim to extend the walls of his city that the nations might be brought in, that we can fulfill our calling as God's people to be a blessing to the nations, for people to hear, for hear the word, and it might change their life forever. And that all glory might be given to Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, turn our, our hearts from unbelief and give us faith. Help our unbelief. Father, sustain us. Nourish us through this sacrament. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.